that's the journey of entrepreneurship. You know, it's, it's belly flopping into this bottomless abyss. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, everybody. My name is Martin McGovern, your host, and today we have a special guest, Mads Hanna. Uh, Mads is a brand strategist and copywriter, challenging brands to tell their story with confidence, clarity, and oomph since 2012. <laughs> two years, two, two or so years after we first met, I think. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to get into your story, hear a little bit about your freelancer journey, especially through the pandemic and how that has uh, maybe caused some some difficulties, but also opened up so many opportunities for you. Because I think there's a lot of folks going through layoffs right now who are contemplating building their own businesses and freelancing. So super excited to get into it with you, Mads. Uh, we'll kick this off the way we do with all of them by asking you the most dreaded interview question of all time. Matt, tell us about yourself. Oh, where to begin? <laughs> um, so uh, my name is, my full name is Madison and Martin, as you've noticed, I've gone through a little bit of a rebrand by going by Mads. I love it. <laughs> and um, Yeah, that's kind of a good introduction into what I do and where I'm at right now. And I am a brand strategist and storyteller. Um, I help brands and freelancers um, tell their story from the most authentic depth of who they are in a way that feels really, really good. Um, and I have a communications background, so I use a lot of those marketing tools that I learned from our DePaul days. I studied public relations and advertising. Um, and yeah, Mads is a recent kind of brand shift because friends and family were calling me Mads my whole life. And then to approach the professional world and be Madison, it just started feeling a little inauthentic to me. And I was like, you know what, right out the gate, I feel so comfortable with who I am and how people see me. And I want to work with clients in a really personable way. So yeah, so now I'm Mads, uh, officially and out there on LinkedIn. So, it. um, yeah, that's. That's kind of broadly who I am, but yeah, I'm based uh, out of Denver, Colorado right now. Um, like I said, I have a background in PR and I've worked in boutique, mid-size global agencies. And about four or five years ago, I decided to take flight and become unexpectedly a digital nomad. And now I own my own brand storytelling agency um, and it's remote always. We've always been remote. Um, but yeah, just taking all of 2020 has has thrown at us and turning it into some magic. So that's kind of a little bit about who I am. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so fun to, you know, I, I saw your profile and I was like, Mads, huh? I've always known you as Madison. So funny. And like, um, <laughs> I think nicknames are always so great because like, uh, back when I was in a ska band, yeah, unfortunately I was in a ska band, uh, nice. I went I went by Gov, and I remember, I was like, I wonder if I could bring that nickname back, and I brought it back for like a day, and my partner was like, no, 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 no. I'm feeling that, <laughs> totally. But I love Mads, I think Mads works, so um, I, I'm excited you. to jump into it and, and learn a little bit more about what you've been up to and, and why you pursued, you know, building your own thing and, and creating your own brand. Cause it's something that I think everyone needs to do to some degree. And the question is to what degree, right? If you're a job seeker, you need to get noticed. You need to know how to talk about yourself. You need to know how to tell your story. And some people 
you know, are scared to tell their story. Some people can only tell so much of their story. Some people go all the way with it. And I'm curious to really dig in and learn a little bit more about your perspectives on storytelling and how to help people maybe overcome that fear and put themselves out there a little bit more. So when you first kind of launched into your own business and putting yourself out, out there, what was maybe the most nerve wracking part of it for you and, and kind of putting your reputation out there in that way? I think for most people at the time, Curated Compass, um, it's been through a few evolutions. And the very first time was when I was leaving my nine to five corporate gig in San Francisco. And up until this point, I was 26 and my career at this point, looking back, was, was just starting, right? But everything within me felt like this is who I am. My identity is baked into this agency that I was working at. I was doing tech and food PR. Um, and I just moved from Chicago to San Francisco and put in a few years there. And I mean, I was, I just had a pit in the bottom of my stomach when I was going to announce to my colleagues and my clients and my network that, I was going off to do my own thing. Um, I totally feared the judgment and, and, and I'm from the Midwest. So I'm already a very like self-critical person and the internal narrative is people please. And, you know, measure yourself by where your peers are at and where they're headed. Um, and I will say within in the marketing realm, it is so much about branding yourself and networking and talking with other people. So you can't help but feel well, their story really inspired me, but I'm not there. So what does that mean about me? So going off to do my own thing, to launch this new business. And I, I distinctly remember the exit email that my manager sent at the time, like Mads is now leaving us. She's pursuing her own career or her own business um, and is gonna start traveling and let's wish her luck. And I'm like, wow, it is, it is in an email. It is forever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then it's I, on paper now. My desk. Yeah. And we're like, tell us about it. And I was like, I don't even know what it's about quite myself. And I think that's the journey of entrepreneurship. You know, it's, it's belly flopping into this bottomless abyss. You just don't know what's going to be on the other side. I love how you put that. Cause yeah, when I, when I left my first job, I actually didn't even know I was going to be an entrepreneur at some point. I just needed an excuse to get out of there. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to start my own consulting thing for a while. And they were like, oh, my God, Martin, like, don't forget us when you're famous. And I'm like, oh, God, no, don't say that. <laughs> just, it's like too much pressure. Right. And so uh, that, I think that's so interesting that that imagery of like belly flopping into the abyss. Like when you first, you know, took that plunge, um, what where did your brain go to first? I mean, obviously, we all look up to people. We all see what people put out there. So there's a lot of like the external facing parts of building your own business. And then there's a lot of internal like silent stuff. Um, but what was maybe like the first thing you did to go out and like stand on your own two feet? What, what did that look like when you started building it? I think having a logo and a website check marked a box of validity. And in return, it inspired me, look, you're legit. Like other brands have websites you are established. This is the first step. So as you belly flop into that world of the unknown, it's, it's all of these small, small steps that lead you to the next thing. And I think so many people who are considering going off and doing their own thing, um, whether it's to freelance, be a contractor, consult, 
or to launch a brand and eventually build a team, you know, so often people get overwhelmed that they don't even take the first 10 steps that are right before them. And I do equate this to my move to San Francisco. When I left Chicago, I didn't know a soul there. I didn't know anyone who had left to the West Coast in their mid-20s. Um, and I got a job offer on vacation when I was there the week before, just exploring, you know, I've got an itch to try somewhere new. It was New York or San Francisco. I wanted a coast. Um, and I got a job offer and they said, can you be here in three weeks? And I about broke down because I was like, this is too big of a change. I'm oh, mentally wow. not prepared. I had, yeah, I had imagined... Um, doing a three month road roadmap toward a move. Um, but you know what, it was just, okay, I gotta, you know, let my apartment know that I'm, I'm breaking my lease early. Um, you know, then I need to figure out how to get my things to, to, to San Francisco. So I need to research, you know, how I can do that and what pod, you know, company I'm going to work with. And then all of a sudden it was just like the tiniest little steps toward actually making it happen. And, I didn't realize that that was my strategy at the time, but it totally worked. And so now that's how I approach most things with Curated Compass and professionally how I kind of lay out my roadmap. That's awesome. And so when, when you were putting those steps together and you ended up in this you know, new space, new town, new job and everything, were there any big surprises that happened? Like, were, were, there, were there any parts that kind of caught you off guard that you really weren't expecting? Yes, I thought... I was going to be able to find a, an easy housing solution because I had great credit. I'd never missed a rental payment. I was like, I'm from the Midwest, I'm really friendly. And what it led to was a three month housing search and having to find temporary housing and apply. It was, tar it was harder to get a, a roommate in a housing situation than it was getting the job. Um, I was applying to different apartments uh, like up to six a day. And eventually I learned the perfect uh, template of including photos of me and to show that I had friends, to show that I was real. Yeah, to show that I was actually active and didn't just say it because um, it's a pretty outdoorsy city. Um, and it, it totally worked out because I ended up falling um, into a rent controlled house with all East Bay local women around my age, which to absolutely paved the road for who I am today, those, that, that housing situation. So I'm so glad I waited it out and uh, ended up officiating one of the roommates weddings last year, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. I I've never heard yeah. of, I've never heard of a, a home hunt being so much like a job search. That's really fascinating. I had to brand myself as the ideal roommate. You know, uh, there were some people that said, you seem really nice, but we're in our mid thirties. Um, and you're in your late twenties and we feel like that could be like a culture clash. And I was like, what? Oh, it's so many but, years apart. <laughs> I know, right? It was crazy, but they could be that picky. And so it was like pitching new business or pitching yourself for a new job. That market was so saturated with, with housing challenges that, yeah, it turned into that. So that's And it's wild. cool that you were able to pull on the actual skill set that you're using in other areas of life too, right? Like that's, that's one of the things that I think people don't always consider when they're, you know, going through the job search or trying to build a business. They, 
it, we get really myopic in thinking about skills. We're like, oh, I need to write a resume. It's like, no, you need to learn how to write convincingly. It's like, oh, I need to write a cover letter. No, you need to tell a story. Oh, I need to practice for an interview. No, you need to learn how to verbalize your thoughts. Like there's all these deeper skills that apply in multiple areas of our life uh, as we're kind of reaching towards these goals that if we would actually just focus on the core skill and the practice, a lot of the other stuff would become so much easier, right? Like filling out an application for an apartment, not the most fun. Learning a skill of writing and, and persuasion, pretty fun. So like, how has that, uh, how have like other skills that you've seen that have been really helpful in building your business also applied in other areas of your life? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think that's really important, identifying the how you get there, not the what I have to do. Like I like I have to get a home, but how I get the home is where I can get really creative. And my background is in pitching media. So all of a sudden I took the client aspect out of it and I became the thing I was pitching. Um, I think once you're able to look at it from that angle, the how you get there, um, I think it's really important to identify what makes you uncomfortable and when your your internal gut is like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not great at this. I have anxiety. So one thing that most people don't know about me is that I'm a counterphobic. And what that means is that I the things that I'm scared of, I run toward. So there's something about that emotion of fear and can you actually do this that I can't help but pursue? So I actually, I love people and I know I always have a really good time after I go to a networking event or um, a business function of sorts, but I, I get so nervous, so nervous, but I know that the payoff is worth it. So what I've learned in my business is that, you know, those things that scare you, I acknowledge that for what it is. But then I also know that those are the things that really fulfill me, those pathways that I take. So when I did end up traveling um, and bought a one-way ticket to Bali, not knowing what was going to happen, <laughs> I was at the airport in near tears saying, what did you do? Why did you do this? Why did you continue to go against what your gut was telling you. And this might sound counterintuitive of trust your gut. I can trust my gut that those are the things that fulfill me. So um, yeah, that was a really roundabout way, I think, of answering your question. No, I but, like um, it. Yeah, that's something that's been very true for me in my life and my business. Yeah, I've never heard the phrase counterphobic before. That's really fascinating. So like, basically, whenever you hit something that is terrifying your gut, you lean in. Uh, that's kind of where you're going with it. Yes. And I will say there are some like toxic and healthy <laughs> things that like I can, I can, you know, understand the difference, but if it's a positive growth opportunity of you don't have to do this, you know, like <laughs> you can write, like you were in charge of your own life. That's when I say, Hey gut, you're actually telling me. And I think that's just being really in tune with yourself and in embracing every learning opportunity that does come your way to kind of figure those things out. Do you feel um, like you were always that way or is that something you developed over time? My mother would tell you I've always been that way. Um, but I will say actually following my counterphobia is not something I've always done. So um, 
it was only when I started saying, okay, get out of your comfort zone, play around with this a little bit, that I've reaped the benefits of, of living the non-comfort zone life, you know, so that developed with time. But my mom says she saw it a lot earlier. That's awesome. Are there any things that like stand out to you early on that you're like, oh, I wish I did that opportunity or I wish I went after that thing? Yeah, I mean, I have a theater background, which um, I don't know if you ever saw the vagina monologues in college, which is what I uh, was one of my things. Oh, really? Uh, yes. So um, I come from a very conservative home and we had said that word out loud maybe eight times in my life. Mm -hmm. And one of the older girls was like, you know, I direct this, this show. I was like, I love theater. And she's like, it's called the vagina monologues, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, it is, it is a annual production done all over the world to end violence against women and girls. It's to open up the dialogue about what it's like to be a woman, what women go through. Um, and when she told me about the show, I mean, every part of me said, don't do it. Don't do it. It's too much. It's too, like, you, you, you're not ready for this. Like college is enough, but um, ended up auditioning and it completely changed my life because I became the director the next three years. And who knew like a conservative, like, minded I obviously evolved my my ideals in college but um I was kind of the minority of the group so it was interesting for them to bring me into the fold and I grew so much through that and I got to bring my people into that so um that's one thing I actually did follow my counterphobic gut feeling that really worked out in my favor but I was so close to not going I love those those like early moments where like because I feel like I was the same way. I was a theater kid too, but every time I did anything on stage, I was literally on the verge of a panic attack. And it's it's funny how like those moments happen throughout our lives where we're like, I'm not at all ready for this, but I can't I, I can't turn away from this. And and leaning into those moments, it's it, it's almost like figuring it out after we've already committed in a way. It's like you, you jump in and then you have to, like when I did improv back in the day, it's like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but once I was there, I had to adapt. And I, I, it, I just see how those things influence the future, right? Because I would assume having pushed through that boundary early on, it just makes pushing through other boundaries later easier and easier. And, and finding that uh, confidence to do that back then would also enable you to have the confidence to build your own business or do something later on. And so we, we very often think that if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you're like born an entrepreneur or something like that. Or if you're gonna run a business, like you were just always doing that, like Gary V selling baseball cards when he was like 11 or something. But a lot of folks, it's, it's this like slow awakening of like proving one thing and then proving another and then proving another. And then somehow you're just in this whole new place 15 years later. And that journey is such a fascinating one. Yes, and I will say, I um, ever since moving to Colorado, I got into rock climbing and um, I have a lot of mental limitations around heights and trusting the gear and that it will hold you. And I just recently read this book and the author taught me ways to, to break down those limiting beliefs and gave me tools, yes, to practice on the wall, but he said it only works if you also practice it in your life. Mm. So in your relationships, in your work, because it is a habit that is formed just like a muscle. So we don't have to think just through a professional lens here. 
it's it becomes easier and easier if you practice it through every facet of your life too yeah that reminds me of like therapy they, they always say therapy happens between sessions not in the session it's it's what you do when you get home with that information yes yes which um I call what I do brand therapy, which you call what you do career therapy, because <laughs> yeah. we do both value people who are willing to, especially within a professional setting, if you're working when I'm on with a founder or a freelancer or someone who's taking control of their own career identity, you've got to get really vulnerable and honest and peel back those layers. And then, yeah, in between sessions, that's where the magic happens. That's, that's where so change fun. happens for sure. Yeah, I love that you call it brand therapy because uh, it it um, it's probably why we clicked so well in college. Because when uh, right after college, I started this small branding agency with. Did you ever meet Heidi uh, Gosen? Did you know Ooh. her back in the day? I knew a Heidi who's now in television broadcasting, but I don't think it's different the same Heidi's. Heidi. Maybe. Okay. but anyway, I I had uh, these friends Heidi and Jim. And we started our own little like logo branding shop and one of the things that was um funny about it is as we were branding it it ended up being called smart owl creative but we did have this entire maybe month and a half period where we were almost calling it the brand uh the brand therapists we, we i made these like logos with like uh basically sigmund freud kind of glasses and different yes. like that so it's it's fun to hear you say that because it's just so many different overlaps there um, and when you think about what brand therapy means in, in your mind, what, is that, what does that look like in practice? What does that look like when you're sitting down with someone and talking about their business? So the first uh, phase of brand therapy is really special. Um, what I traditionally do is I create a list of eight to 10 questions. This is for the founder, the small business owner, or um, the self-employed person. And I tell them to grab a beer or a cup of coffee to turn on their voice memos app and free flow, unfiltered, unprepared, answer the questions for me. And I ask questions like, if someone's at a barbecue and they're talking about your business, what do you hope they'll say? What emotions do you want people to feel the moment they are introduced to your brand? If your brand closed its doors tomorrow, how would you want it to be remembered? Um, and we always start with the origin story because it is a bit awkward um, because the reason why therapy is so important is because people push it off, right? Like it doesn't sound like fun to dig deep and, and confront your stuff, right? And, and to do the true reflection to see how you're growing and what you want to become. The initial idea of that is kind of exhausting to people and can cause anxiety. However, once I play these, these audio recordings back, it is pure gold. It is like unfair that I get to sit in the company of these founders and have them without being timed, without anyone interrupting them or responding to someone's you know, reactions, just process it themselves. I don't think the founders will realize what a gift it is. Like I will sit and listen to these recordings and just, I then get to hear things woven threads of consistency and I get to hear them repeat things and I hear them um, reiterate things in a new way through a different question. So then once I get to hear that, that first phase of therapy, I play back what I've heard. 
the things that intrigue me, the things that I have more questions about, the things that I feel differentiate their brand and make them really special. And I do this with people. I'm uh, doing two rounds of brand therapy with freelancers right now who want to step up their game and um, grow their own business in a unique way uh, in 2021. And yeah, when I play back what I hear, like distinct digestible sound bites, I then build an identity map, define each identity trait and how it makes people feel. I then break down their voice. So how it appears in copy and visuals, are they conversational? Are they direct? Are they a little spunky? Are they um, bold in their language? And then the final thing is uh, I distill it into four hierarchical messages. So like day in, day out, these four things will always be true. So when I bring all those things together, you have this this brand that is essentially a person and it's the most authentic representation of who they are. And that is your brand story. And you can bring that to life in a hundred million ways. And yet it's consistent and really authentic. And it allows room to grow into that, I, that, that story. But I always tell people like every year at least, you need to revisit to see how you've grown, you know, since then, because I just revamped my brand story after two years and it looks different, but there's still some core things that are the same that are really cool. That totally informs my entire website design, like redesign. Everything is so intentional because it's all built on my story. I that love was it. Kind of cool. No, I love it. <laughs> and and, and I, I enjoy how you bring it from the brand level down to the freelancer level. And I even probably take it to that next level of going down to like the job seeker. And, and there's so much in there. There's so much that we just don't have you know, the mental bandwidth to sit down and do on our own. I think it's so funny when you talk to a marketer and ask them to pitch themselves, how difficult it is for them, even though they work in the field, right? The hardest person to analyze is ourself. And that's why we need to be able to sit down with people, whether we're running a business, whether we're doing our own freelancing, whether we're trying to find a job, getting out of our own heads and out of our own way is so important. And the way that you lay that out, I think is really fascinating. And so in your story, where have been like some of those realizations for yourself? What, what do you think has made, or what, what have been some of the most fun, maybe epiphanies that you've had about yourself doing this work? And just to play back, it is so hard to do the work yourself. I was sitting on revamping and reanalyzing my own brand story for far too long. And it is something that I am an expert at, right? I found in that process about Curated Compass's story, which is that was my dog. Hey, dude. Um, <laughs> uh, whenever she hears garbage trucks, like, backing up in particular, she can't see them. She's just got to have an opinion about it. So she normally has three barks in her. So we'll see if she'll keep going. Um, but uh, what I've learned is that I really enjoy diving deep and helping people detangle and distill in its purest form, like your truth. Because you can have a broad statement about yourself. So like for the job seeker, you know, I am passionate about sustainability and leaving this world better than I found it. Like that's such a hierarchical passion statement. And yet there are so many ways to talk about how that is true. So if you walk into an interview or you're networking and you're trying to broaden your your community so that people can keep you in mind next time. It's so important 
that you you keep it consistent and always drive back to those glittery distilled you know core always rooted statements and describe that and authentically tell stories in in your background and connect with people on that level so that they will remember oh so and so is really passionate about sustainability and 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 maybe they wouldn't say this verbatim wants to leave this world better than they found it but that is a good internal compass point for a job seeker who's looking for something in climate change and sustainability um, and environmentalism to keep in mind, just to put it into the job seekers point. Of yeah, view. no, I, I think that's really on point. And the, the key thing that I'm hearing there is like, you know, we keep returning to these ideas in order to reinforce them for ourselves and for others, because a lot of times people need more than what we're saying, right? We think we're saying too much. We think we're rambling. We think we're all over the place, but people are pretty good at like filtering and like getting a pretty, a sense of a person, but having the words there, having the stories. And, and I think the biggest thing, having examples, and, and you kind of touched on that a little bit. It's like, you can't just say it, you have to show it. And so often people say, oh, I'm great at collaborating. Oh, I'm a hard worker. Oh, I'm a really nice guy. It's like, the more you say you're a nice guy, the more we raise an eyebrow and say, are they really, are they just saying they are, right? It's better to tell a story that uh, infers what you are or reinforces what you are than to just keep saying these kind of high level words that don't ever really latch on, right? It, you know, the more someone says that they're empathetic, the more I go, can you give me an example of your empathy so that I, I'm not just hearing words that, that seem empty. And so what I'd, I'd love to dig into an actual example because we have a lot of folks that might be listening who are either thinking of starting their own side hustle, freelance brand, little business, or maybe just got laid off and are being put in a position where it's their primary option and, and their best way moving forward. Maybe they've been thinking about it for a while. Um, could you walk us through maybe one of your favorite examples of someone that you helped kind of bring this story together and put it out in the world? Yes. I'm just trying to think of who or what brand. Um, I guess before I dive into an example, just to get the the wheels greased, I don't know what expression I'm looking Juice for. Is flowing uh, <laughs> juice is flowing up. Yeah, exactly. I work with some brands who are just starting or some people who are just taking a hard left and starting fresh. Um, your process to discovering who you are and professionally what you stand for and what opportunities you're looking for at the beginning, you are an, in, in that infancy. And what happens with infants? They grow really fast. They change their mind. New things are discovered every day. And so for people who are listening, who are trying to decide if they wanna start their own business or side hustle um, and have committed to doing it, have resilient patience with yourself because I can't tell you where Curated Compass is at today, where I'm at today, was a process of finding the 1000 things I don't like and I, I don't want to do to discover those four to six things that I love. And I wish there was an easier way to do that. I don't know why, it, it's always like, no, 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 yes. No, 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 no. Like it's, do you find that to be similar oh, yeah. in your growth it's, it's just trial and error and constantly. It's trial and error constantly. And, and uh, you know, 
even even this weekend or this weekend it's it's a tuesday even this week um i feel like all the days i'm just working every day but um there i i i was doing something with patreon and had to backtrack so like i made this big change rebranded a bunch of stuff and then got a lot of feedback that was eh, not good and I, I was like oh no i made a big mistake and a lot of times um you know big big it's big for what I perceive it because everything that you do always seems so much bigger, but to the outside, like probably no one noticed. And like, what I think is so funny about it is like, there's a bunch of different ways to respond to that. And sometimes we'll run away from it. Sometimes we'll just freeze. Sometimes we'll just delete the thing altogether. And this was one of those moments where I was like, this is an opportunity to bring people into the growth of this. And so uh, what I did was I wrote a message that was just like, I made a mistake. I made a mistake, I made this big brand change, it's not going well, and we need to go backwards. So I appreciate all your support patrons, uh, but you're gonna notice a lot of changes over the next week as I <laughs> refigure this out. And it is one of those things where when you're building stuff, especially if you're like a solo person or just getting you know, uh, a small team together even, it's like you, you have all these different ideas just swirling around and so much of it is in test mode that it's not even at the level of like mass visual or anything like that. And so these kind of steps in different directions and then even back steps can all be part of that journey, part of that story, which I think is always so scary for folks, but so interesting when you actually get into the freelancer entrepreneur mindset. Right. And you know, part of my story that led me to Curie Compass and my obsession over storytelling in general is it actually started with my parents. They were Christian TV producers. My dad produced a Christian version of American Idol. I did not know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't, but I grew up on a set. Inspiration Sensation. I'm sure there are a few YouTube clips to prove it. Um, That's what brought us to Illinois, actually. Uh, We were living in Texas before then. Um, but you know, I didn't even realize that the things that I was learning and picking up in that setting have led to where I'm at right now. And I chose PR cause I had to pick a major and my mom thought I'd be good at it. I did PR for what I felt like a very long time. And I learned media relations, um, major events, celebrity endorsements, uh, paid partnerships still have those skills, but what those six years taught me is that I'm really sick of getting the message from the client or a branding agency and having to build PR campaigns around it because I'm sitting with consumers, media, and it's, it's landing flat. It has no sparkle. It has no depth. And I want to be in the front lines of telling or building the story so that people can better tell it across different channels. So when I shifted into, would I even be good at branding? Do I even know anything about it? Do I know how to tell a good story? I think all these people who have these urges to create or do something new have confidence that internally, like your story, whether you realize it or not, whether you have it articulated or not, comes from somewhere. And it is a natural stepping stone for you, right? Um, So the best next thing to do is to find a way to connect that, again, knowing it's really hard to do the work yourself and 
being okay with massaging and tweaking it as you go. I hit publish on my website last week. I still have four rounds of feedback that I have not applied from people I really respect. And it feels unfinished to me, but I have to start. I have to be ready and know that it's always a work in progress. Um, yeah. And that's okay. And that's a, a story unfolding, right? It's that constant. Yeah, if everything is always unfinished, if, if we really want to, you know, take the broadest view about that, because as soon as you finish it, there's, you know, a change in the market, a change in the technology, a change in the customer, a change in something that needs to be revisited. And, and this brings me to this, um, the big fear that I think most people who are considering freelance have, which is this idea of fake it till you make it. Like this happens in the job search, this happens in freelancing. This comes up all the time and it's widely debated. Some people are like, yeah, fake it till you make it is totally the way to go. Some people are like, uh, believe it till you achieve it. Some people ha are just against the whole damn thing. What, what, are, what is your take on it? And, uh, you know, just, yeah, I'll just say, what's your take on it? Well, and what I say is fake it till you become it. <laughs> That's my that little, in the back of my head, because when I realized PR was not my passion, which newsflash to everyone listening, Curity Compass was, was originally a business to help mommy bloggers better pitch themselves to brands. That is the initial why behind my brand. Um, because I was working in PR and I was like, wow, all these mommy bloggers are asking for all this money to be sponsored. I can help them tell a better story and better represent themselves because they have some good content. Anyway, all that to be said, um, you know, as I revived Curated Compass, and I still had this like pseudo, and I still to this day do have a freelancer hat while also being an owner slash founder of this agency. Um, cause, cause I got to make the bills. Sometimes I get like a really sweet deal to be a copywriter for a brand and I enjoy the brand and the people. It's a great check. Um, I switched over to copywriting knowing that at my PR agency before, I hated any writing assignment. I hated the press releases. I hated writing the pitches. I hated writing all the marketing materials for the press kit. And yet I saw this opportunity for copywriters digitally to have a ton of work. And here I am like toying around with, with brand strategy and brand messaging and brand storytelling. What's the best way to get there and be really good at it? Start copywriting. So I had to build a portfolio out of nothing. I had written nothing. Um, and that was a lot of self-doubt and like, you're lying, you are faking it. You can't change your LinkedIn headline. Like you're lying to people, you're lying to yourself. I mean, these were like the internal narratives that were happening at the time. And yet I looked at it from like a friend's perspective toward myself. And I was like, you know what? You have written press releases. You have written some blog posts put those out there, see what, what comes back to you. And most often people invested in me. They liked how I talked about myself. They liked my passion for wanting to tell a good story, for wanting to develop my writing skills through different mediums and channels. And that's what they invested in. So long way to answer your question. Um, if there's a reason you're showing up to a career change or a new side hustle or a new rebrand, there's something authentic about that. If you're truly willing to make the leap to, to try it, 
something brought you there that's going to resonate with people that will help you land your first client or your first gig. Um, trust that and then be really honest about yourself and, and be really happy with who you are. Cause I really feel like, especially this year, people are investing in people. I just got a new gig, uh, writing ghostwritten content on Substack for this founder. And I've never written on Substack before, and I'm supposed to come up with this growth strategy. So I'm reading all these articles and, but I was very upfront. Like I haven't built a growth strategy for Substack before. It's a whole new playground. I don't, like I want to learn and that was enough for her. So. I like that, I, especially that piece on, you know, I'm ready to learn. Um, you know, if I said today, all of a sudden I'm a doctor, that's fake it. That like, there's nothing in my history about any knowledge right. of health or anything. Like if I said I'm a dentist and tried to pull your tooth, that's faking it. But if you are doing stuff that orbits what you're trying to do next, you're not faking it. You're just defining it. And I think that's a really big difference, right? There's a huge difference between, you know, being the guy from the movie Aviator who just said that he's a pilot and sits on the planes and someone who's writing stuff, but doesn't have the confidence to call themselves a writer. There's a big difference between those two things. And so I appreciate you kind of going into the details of, of your journey, because it is sort of, um, it takes, sometimes it takes our confidence and our insecurities time to catch up with our actions. Yes, almost always. And I will say right now, my, my boyfriend who works in automation and controls, he automates manufacturing equipment for craft breweries. Well, he's an avid skier and he wants to develop a product for boot, boots that can are self-heated through, That's through awesome. an auto experience. and he's like could this have legs I don't even know anybody in the industry like do I even and I'm like you have the skill set you have the passion for the sport that's enough to launch yourself yesterday and I appreciate your uh unintended pun in there of does this foot heater have legs uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things that I'd like to dig into next here is, you know, how you've been building your business. Cause, um, you know, once you overcome that self-doubt, once you start creating, once you start putting yourself out there, there's a lot of different ups and downs and things to consider. And you've already mentioned one of the things that I think people don't always think about. You can have your own business and still take part-time gigs, contract gigs, even full-time gigs as you're building your business. I, I've done the same. And I think there's this push on the internet to like, just be a thing. Like everyone is just in a category. You're either an entrepreneur or you're a entrepreneur. You're either a full-time worker or you're not. Like you either can be in a corporate space or you can't. Like everyone has to choose a side. When in reality, we're all pretty fluid and we could probably handle different types of environments all the time. So I appreciate you hitting on that point. And then as you're building your business, you talked about how the pandemic, before we jumped on the call, you talked about how the pandemic has hit, how you're trying to, uh, how you've evolved your business since the pandemic and also some of your views of the future. So I'd love to maybe get into that first part of when the pandemic hit, what did that look like as a freelancer, as someone who's building your own thing? How did that impact you? I lost 75% of my project work within the first two weeks. Um, planned checks 
our, or checks that were supposed to be coming through, I had already planned where they would go, how they would be allocated. Yeah, I just, it's so interesting for someone being a branding and content focused person who understands the power of what thoughtful, valuable content can do. I was like, this, this pandemic is, is dimming that light. It's a non, it's a non-essential not to use a buzzy word, buzzword, but um, I was like, no, and and my clients felt the same way. They're like, we need to protect our full-time employees and we appreciate and love working with you. But obviously I was the first to go and all of most of my projects stopped. And then within three to four weeks, I had nearly double the work. And I was just shocked. It was the last place I imagined my work and my time going because, and that's when I was like, let's do some self-care with curated compass and like, let's work on my own stuff. And thankfully I have a support supporting, um, you know, community that's going to take care of me if I need it. But when I started getting all these knocks on the door, um, obviously online became the new way to market your business to connect with consumers, to share really difficult stories, to, to learn together during the social justice unrest. Like it just, it all became so raw and vulnerable and people really valued content being that medium to connect with others and stay afloat. And ever since that moment, I've been more than okay. Like more than, more successful than I was pre-pandemic. And Obviously, I'm not grateful the pandemic happened, is happening, um, but it has been one silver lining to my industry. And not only that, um, you know, I, I, I broke into the world of remote freelance work before the pandemic, before the world becoming remote friendly. And people would doubt whether or not I'd be able to churn out quality work while traveling, while being at a new cafe that day. Um, and now everyone is there with me. And I actually have been doing this for four and a half years. And so it's really a delight to be able to, you know, have everyone come and join me on my level. So yeah, that- Yeah, that, that transition has been fascinating. Yeah, that it, being a remote worker as well, that transition of like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, everyone now is dealing with the same things we've been coping with for four years. It's, it's, it's a fascinating shift. And so- what was, was there something you changed that um, kind of brought in all that new business or was it just kind of right place, right time? I am so fortunate that what used to be an archaic only update when I changed my corporate gig of a platform has opened up 95% of my work. And I'm talking about LinkedIn. And that is why I'm sitting here right now. It's because of LinkedIn and you and I reconnected. Um, I was feeling desperate one day uh, about a year and a half ago. And I had this little check my boxes to prove your copywriter and get better copywriting gigs. And um, I had posted, you know, I have 10 hours open a week. If you're looking for someone to take content off your plate, you know, my quill's ready, like DM me. And I had a gif of like someone giving up like too much on my plate. And I use the hashtag copywriting. And I posted at like five o'clock on a Friday because I was just so desperate. And um, this legal tech 
marketing guy in the Bay Area, for whatever reason, was looking at the hashtags at that time, drinking a beer, like at home, already signed off for the day. And he found me and he said, you know, your post really stood out to me. Little did he know I was like on the verge of tears and desperation of like someone hire me. Is this going to work? And uh, ended up bringing in through his connections, through his his company that he worked for, you know, 40, 35, 40 percent of my earnings for the rest of that year. This was last year. Wow. And it was just. Yeah, it was online. And now I'm a part of this new um, networking app platform. Have you heard of Lunch Club? Yeah, we're using Lunch Club a ton in our coaching to get people up and ready for networking. People are so scared of it, but it's like, that is lunchclub.ai for anyone listening. It's um, when everyone on there is ready to network, it's a lot less scary. So that's been, we've been pushing tons of job seekers there. But what's been your experience? Well, I just got... um, I've had five conversations now and with not, without the goal of trying to get work, just practice talking about myself, really important, getting your story down, seeing what questions people ask you. And again, these are strangers you never have to talk to again. And yet they're all interesting and have, are showing up because they want to talk to you and they don't care where the conversation necessarily goes. They just have this spirit of, I'm ready to talk to someone new and what can I learn? And, um, the most recent lunch club uh, meetup I had was with a climbing wall association. Um, they partner with indoor climbing gyms all over the country. And I climb and she and I had a lot to talk about. And we were talking a ton about marketing because she was the comms person there. And yeah, she invited me to um, pitch a proposal for an upcoming campaign that they have. And that was completely unplanned. And it's an industry I've been wanting to break into the outdoor space. And so that was so cool, completely not expecting it. Um, But we already had like an established rapport that was more friendly than professional. And she still invited me to pitch, which was really cool. So that was one of the newest anecdotes from uh, Lunch Club. That's awesome. And what I'm hearing here, yeah, one meeting once a week. And, And that's what I'm hearing is like, it's not just, you know, sitting around waiting for things to happen. Like you posted something vulnerable on LinkedIn, you joined a networking group and like how perfect of a connection of the marketing person at a climbing gym. Like that's just like amazing. So um, kudos to you for, for taking that step and putting yourself out there. And, and like, you know, we're all just kind of like a post away from that next gig or that next thing or a connection away from that next opportunity. And it's when we sit at home and turn Netflix back on that we miss out on things. It's, it's <laughs> if we just take the extra five minutes to do something, anything a little bit more, uh, we can end up with some pretty great opportunities. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, one last fun little anecdote around your only connection away. And, and reminding people what you care about professionally in, in personable settings. When I first started traveling, I was on couch surfing as a means to meet new people, not necessarily stay with people, but like you write in a group and on your profile, for those of you who don't know, couch surfing is um, people who host in different countries are willing to give you their couch just for the sole purpose of exchanging, you know, cultures and yeah, it's like French- free, free Airbnb pre-Airbnb on a budget 
Yeah. And I made some incredible friends that way that I'm still in touch with that I didn't even end up staying with, but locals on the ground who totally took care of me. Um, but on the profile, it says, what can you share with your host? And I could have said, oh, I love to cook. Um, you know, I, I'm a great adventure buddy for the day. But I said, you know, I'm in marketing. So if you have a business and you need some, some tips or some advice, let's talk. And that is how I got my first client while traveling abroad. He was in Chiang Mai in Thailand for a conference. And he uses the app to meet people as he travels. And he saw my profile and that was the gig that changed it all, that allowed me to stay on the road for two years. I wasn't even trying. It just, it was empty space to remind people what I do and what I care about. And people came, he came to me. It was crazy. I really appreciate you sharing that. And the one thing that you said there that I want to reinforce, remind people what you do and what you care about. I think that that, that sums up everything we've been talking about today so well, uh, from storytelling to branding and everything else. Um, well, we're coming to the end here. So I want to give you the opportunity to let people know where they can find you and follow along if they want to learn more. Awesome. Thank you. Love me some free PR. It's great. <laughs> you can now find me at curatedcompass.com, which is very exciting. Um, now that you know a little bit more about me, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with storytelling and I'm obsessed with getting into the weeds with your story and reflecting back your best self through distilling it in a way that you can share your story through any avenue and feel really good about it. So if you're a brand, if you're a freelancer, I'm looking to launch a DIY workshop for people um, who have the time um, to invest in themselves, to, to uh, walk them through the storytelling uh, process as their digital guide and you get some time with me. It's not launched yet. There's a wait list button. So if you're interested, let me know and I'll make the time to do it. Um, but yeah, curatedcompass.com and I'm very active on LinkedIn. So uh, please follow me and uh, yeah, I'll follow you back. It'll be great. I love it. Go check it out. And um, if you need help on your story, I mean, she's right here. So hit her up. Uh, we'll put the link in the description. It's on the screen as well. And uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a thanks, pleasure. Gov. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash Martin McGovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on and I'd really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, 
or leave us a review on iTunes and I think maybe even Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.